Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm John Ralston, the editor of the Nevada Independent. Today, we'll be chatting with John Wellinghoff, an energy consultant and former chairman of a powerful federal energy panel. Reporter Riley Snyder, who has never chaired a panel I know of, but knows a lot about energy issues, is here to help with the questions. And as always, we'll close with some to and fro on some of the issues of the day between myself and the Indies managing editor, Elizabeth Thompson. We'll chat about that remarkable interview Riley did with Rob Roy and the pulling back of the curtain on Switch, latest developments in the fallout after Steve Wynn's departure, and maybe even more. But let's get started first with my recap of some of the week's headlines from the Nevada Independent. We had a lot of reaction to the president's budget after it was released Monday. Most people don't realize that the document is basically a wish list from 1600 Pennsylvania, but it reveals presidential priorities. Among them, restart the nuclear waste dump siting process in Nevada and take $230 million out of a critical public lands bill fund that also helps pay for education. It's almost as if Donald Trump is still mad at Nevada for voting for Hillary Clinton or maybe for not giving him a gaming license. But that would make it personal, and that would never happen. Jackie Valley went to a news conference for a coalition that wants to get more money and accountability into education in Nevada. I think this news conference is held every two years. Only the names and faces change. Michelle Rendell's and Daniel Rothberg had the story of the week so far, with Governor Brian Sandoval responding to a Time cover story that indicated President Trump may start nuclear tests here again as a show of force. Sandoval insisted he had 100% assurances that that would not happen. Now, I would list the other things that candidate Trump and President Trump have promised and that did not come through, but... We have a podcast to do. Finally, a big story Riley broke just today, and this is Thursday, is that Mayor John Lee of North Las Vegas signed a handwritten note to give the city manager a separation package that she had always claimed existed. After Lee and the council moved forward last week to fire her, he told Riley there were no deals. Well, we now know there was one. Well, we had to have a lawyer write the proverbial sternly worded letter to North Las Vegas, which was dithering on our request for public information. But thanks to Riley's doggedness and the legal hammer, transparency will out. We'll stay on this story, which is far from over. There's a lot more to check out on the site, including our indie blog that has snippets of news you won't say anywhere else. That's our site at thenevadaindependent.com. We'll be back in a moment with John Wellinghoff. The Insiders, Glenn Meek, award-winning investigative reporter. The Insiders, John Ralston, Nevada's outstanding journalist. The Insiders, getting the inside story on who's honest and who's not. We're back on Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent, with our guest, John Wellinghoff. He goes way back in Nevada on energy issues. He was general counsel to the Public Utilities Commission 20 years ago, and later he was a member and chairman of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, which basically means... He was the czar of all of our energy. He may have had that on his business cards for all I know, and he's now a consultant to the Energy Choice Initiative, which will be on the ballot for the second time in 2018. John Wellinghoff, welcome to Indie Matters. Thank you, John. It's great to be on the show. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, I should uh, reiterate that Riley Snyder, who knows energy issues as well as any reporter in this state, is joining me. But I'll start off, uh, John. Let's talk about uh, the Energy Choice Initiative. Uh, Why does it make sense? Well, it makes sense, John, because ultimately consumers will have more choices. That's why it's energy choice than they have now, number one. Number two, 
they will also have the opportunity to better control their energy costs, i.e. they will be able to shop around among multiple providers, and in doing so, just like the big guys, they're all doing it now, MGM and Switch and Sands and others, they, as individual consumers, will have the opportunity to pick among um, fairly large retail providers that will go out and procure energy for them at costs that will ideally help them control their overall energy costs. But I guess what I'd say is, and what others listening to this might ask, uh, is that is Joe Sixpack have the same uh, negotiating clout as Jim Murren, the CEO of uh, uh, MGM? Maybe maybe I can't get as good a deal, or Joe Sixpack can't. Maybe am I Joe you're, Sixpack? You're, you and Joe, you and Joe Sixpack are not going to have to negotiate. There'll be multiple large energy providers, like Direct Energy, is one that comes up comes to mind. Uh, NRG is another one that comes to mind. Multiple companies that are serving uh, retail choice areas of the country now, such as Texas and most of the eastern states on the eastern seaboard, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New York, uh, others, where there are companies already established that go do that. They aggregate uh, hundreds of thousands of customers together and have actually buying power that's larger than the MGM. They have buying power that's more significant than those entities because they're actually buying on behalf of larger blocks of of of, end, of, uh, of customers. So, so it's not. <laughs> I've heard this argument over and over. Well, gee, the individual customer is not going to have the, you know, the the buying power, the negotiating ability of the MGM or whomever. Well, that that's a false argument because ultimately it won't be the individual customer negotiating, but their representative who will go rep- negotiate on their behalf. Are you starting off this interview by telling me that I'm presenting false arguments, uh, Mr. Wellinghoff? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that, that MD Energy and their uh, opponents to ECI are presenting false arguments because I've heard that argument from them, and it's, it's wrong. You're, individuals are not going to negotiate. No one's expecting you know, the individual residential consumer uh, you know, the casino worker or uh, the guy down the street at the 7-Eleven or whomever at a residential level or even small commercial level to be negotiating individually on their own behalf. That is not going to happen. What will happen is there'll be sophisticated buyers, sophisticated retail energy providers coming into the state, and many of them have showed up already. They've testified at legislative hearings. They've testified before the State Public Utilities Commission, and shown their willingness and interest in coming in and serving Nevadans. John, part of the reason we wanted to have you on was because a few weeks ago we had Democratic Assemblyman Chris Brooks on the podcast, and he told us that he voted against the Energy Choice Initiative in 2016, and he was still skeptical of it in 2018 just because he hasn't gotten the answers that he's looking for um, in the many commissions and committees that are studying this issue. What makes you think, uh, and, and what blueprint is there um, for Nevadans, whether it's legislators, whether it's the PUC, moving forward to successfully implement this thing by 2023 as the constitutional amendment calls for? Well, first I'd say, of course, you understand, as we all know, that you know Assemblyman Brooks, who I have a great deal of respect for, is in the minority. 72% of Nevadans voted for energy choice. Governor Sandoval said he voted for it, said he voted for it. Uh, Senator Randolph Townsend supports it, who is one of the foremost uh, Nevada uh, energy legislator, probably the best energy legislator that we ever had in the state of Nevada. Uh, uh, Senator Pat Spearman, 
another very sophisticated uh, legislator, legislator in the area of energy is supporting energy choice. So, so there, there are, are you know a vast majority of Nevadans supporting it, and I yes do believe there certainly is a blueprint there uh, that we can work from. Number one, we started down this path in 1999. I was there uh, as staff counsel of the State Public Utilities Commission at the time that bills were put in place to start restructuring the system and start going to an energy choice initiative. Now, admittedly, something happened that took us off the rails, and, and the, the opponents, in fact, bring this up as, as, as part of their opposition, and that was a little, little problem called Enron. We had the Enron debacle in California. But what people don't realize is, number one, that was a wholesale issue, not a retail one. It was a matter of wholesale rates going uh, out of whack. And number two, I believe that particular event and those particular types of instances that led to that event will not reoccur, will not happen again because of the fact that when that happened, FERC had literally six people in their enforcement office. They had nobody that was on watch ensuring that the wholesale markets were not in a position where fraud and manipulation was engaged in. Well, in fact, FERC now has over 200 people in their enforcement office. They have people embedded in the California ISO. They have people embedded in these energy markets, and they watch on a daily basis what's happening to ensure that there's no fraud and manipulation, number one. Number two, FERC has expanded legislative authority that they were given in 2005 to go after specific fraud and manipulation, and they have enhanced penalties of a million dollars per day per violation, which adds up very quickly. In fact, we, when I was at FERC, saying we, which I do too often, but back when I was at FERC, we actually went after some of the banks who were trying to do some Enron-type things, and we shut them down immediately. In fact, we fined them hundreds of millions of dollars, and they stopped quite, quite quickly. So it doesn't mean that people won't continue to try to do it. There's always somebody who thinks they're the smartest guy in the room. However, there are enforcement mechanisms in place now to ensure that that doesn't happen. And in addition, there are the blueprints, and the blueprints, in fact, were begun to put in place in 99. The blueprints were put in place by the Public Utilities Commission, by Judy Shelgrove at the time, who was the chairman of the commission that I worked under. We had a 300-page document that still exists that outlines all of the pieces of the puzzle that needs to be put together to ultimately go to a restructured system in Nevada. John, one of the things I wanted to ask you about and something that we've heard from a lot of backers of the Energy Choice Initiative is this pushback against the term deregulation. It's kind of used as shorthand for what's trying to happen here. We've talked about this before, but I'm wondering if you can give us an idea of of why you think that is the wrong um, term to use when describing what this question is trying to do. It's inaccurate. And that's why it's the wrong term and I don't use it. And I never used it at FERC either because we are not deregulating. We're not having the regulators turn their backs and say, go at it, market. We're not going to look and see what happens. Just go wild out there. What happens instead is you go from a cost-based regulatory structure where the PUC now has to look at every single cost and every single item of expense and every single piece of plant that they put in rate base and say, should they do that? Should they not do that? And they have to make a decision on each one of those things. And then the utility, you know, games the system and figures out, well, how much can we say we need, but we really don't need, and in between rate cases we can put in our pocket instead of actually using it to do what we said we were going to do with it. They do that all the time. They're over earning now by 
60 to 100 million dollars a year, uh, and that's continued for a while. And you know that continues on under that kind of regime, which is a cost-based regime, which is different from a market-based or economic regulatory regime. Under an economic regulatory regime, the economic regulator, in the case of FERC when I was there, or in the case of the Nevada Public Utilities Commission moving over to an economic regulator under restructuring, they then are a market setter of market rules. They determine what the rules are for the people who are playing the market. They have a a, uh, enforcement office that oversees what's happening in that market to ensure that no one's engaging in fraud and manipulation, engaging in, in deceptive trade practices, engaging in false advertising, ensuring that the market's operating as intended, that there aren't bad actors in the market, and if there are bad actors in the market, they delicense them and they find them. So it's a different kind. It is regulation, but it's, a, it's an economic market regulation as opposed to a cost-based regula- regulatory structure. So it's not deregulation. It's restructuring to that market-based system. Do you think the restructuring process is going to require a greater presence of the PUC or some other body to oversee as opposed to just the one gigantic octopus that is the utility, several other companies that will be providing generation and and retail services? Well, it's not a greater presence, but it's a different presence. So instead of looking at whether or not, you know, Envy Energy should put in the next power plant, which they won't be, they won't be putting in any more power plants, it'll be looking at, you know, 8 or 10 or 15 or 20 actors who are doing retail choice and providing retail energy services. So it'll be a different, it'll be different activities. It'll be uh, moving people from one job to another job or having people with different skill sets, but I don't think it will be expanded. It may, it may be the PUC in part. It also may be uh, my old office, the Consumer Advocates Office, uh, the Bureau of Consumer Protection, uh, because under the Attorney General's office, that bureau has the authority to enforce the Deceptive Trade Practices Act in the state of Nevada. And that Deceptive Trade Practices Act, in fact, is the act that would primarily be used to oversee market regulation with respect to market actors as to uh, advertising practices and sales practices and that type of thing. So it, it will be up to the legislature to decide. And, in fact, the ballot initiative gives the legislature full authority to make those kinds of, of granular decisions as to who's actually going to be uh, overseeing these decisions, but uh, it will be uh, different people doing things from what they're doing now. I don't think there'll be a huge expanded staff that you'll need to do that. So uh, let's go back to one of the answers that you gave very cleverly, as you always do, uh, John Wellinghoff, to one of the questions that Riley asked you, and that was, and I have to tell you, I was, I even think Riley was surprised when Chris Brooks was on this podcast and said he voted against ACI uh, 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 in, in 2016, and you put forth the 72% number and listed all those people who support it. But here's the difference between Chris Brooks and everybody or most people who voted for it and what Chris Brooks and John Wellinghoff have in common. You understand how complicated energy is, and to just say energy choice is going to sound great. And, you know, 
Envy Energy put on their neutrality pose in 2016. They didn't do anything to oppose it. So when you run almost anything uh, with a no opposition, it's going to pass overwhelmingly. Yes, the labor folks spent a little bit of money, but nothing in compared to what the, the, the proponents did. This is complicated, right? It's just saying, oh, you can have choice. It's not like a normal, uh, it's not like every other free market where you just say uh, if more competition means lower prices for everybody. This is complicated stuff. Well, I tell you, with all due respect to Chris Brooks, and he's a friend of mine, I'll put Randolph Townsend up against Brooks, Chris Brooks any day. I'll put Pat Spearman up against Chris Brooks any day. I think both of those people understand, and I know after you know, working for, with Randolph for 30 years, you know, he understands fully the complexities of energy, energy regulation, the difference between markets and, uh, and monopoly systems, and why a market system is better than a monopoly system. So, you know, we have the differences of opinion, and hopefully we'll be able to pers- persuade Chris that energy choice is uh, the best choice for Nevadans. Because as I say, I think there's many, many people and many knowledgeable people who believe that it is. Uh, and, and it may make intuitive sense, and you may indeed uh, be right uh, about that, uh, but, but I guess uh, it, it is fair to say, it's not a false argument to say, is it, that the legislature is going to have a huge role after uh, energy choice passes, assuming it passes again, in writing all these rules. And you can't guarantee to anybody right now in February of 2018 what those rules are going to be and whether it's going to be the kind of market where my power bill is going to go down? Well, the legislature isn't going to really write the rules. The rules will be written by the PUC. And I have a great deal of, of faith in the PUC and their capabilities and their ability to dig into this over months and months and months, much longer than the legislature will have. The legislature will set the basic overall structure of who exactly is going to do what in what way. I expect, though, much like the 99 session, it wasn't the legislature that was writing the rules. It was the Public Utilities Commission who was delving into, you know, what do we do with respect to uh, consumer protection requirements? How do we set up those consumer protection requirements for consumers? How do we ensure that we have a provider of last resort? How do we, you know, set up the regulations for licensing of these new uh, retail energy, uh, energy providers that come in? All those details really will be worked out in the hearings, in months and months of hearings that will be done by uh, the State Public Utilities Commission, together with uh, a number of uh, stakeholders, including all of the the retail energy providers that will be coming in and other parties that will want to participate in those proceedings. So the legislature, I know, has a limited time to do things. We don't expect them to do everything. Unfortunately, they don't have to do everything. So just like in 99, the the big heavy lifting will be punted to uh, a regulatory body who will be doing, again, as I say, market regulation as a as opposed to the uh, cost-based regulation that they're doing now with, with looking at the nits and nats of each individual expense item and, you know, what, what Paul, Paul Cadell spends on a daily basis to go to lunch. They won't have to do that anymore. Instead, they'll be looking at broader rules to ultimately determine how the structure will be set up to protect consumers and ensure that consumers can get the lowest cost from this new market-based system 
that they're able to access. So Paul Cadell, in case people don't know who are listening, is the head of NV Energy. And that was a very, I'm sure we're going to see that in an ad, maybe Paul Cadell's lunch bills, uh, uh, Mr. Wellinghoff. But I can't let you uh, go yet. But, I don't uh, want to see his lunch. I don't want to see his I, lunch I, bills. But, but here's the whole point. I get it. I get it. I, I get it. the PUC looking at his lunch bill. But well, let's go back the to the PUC for a second. People can have effective choice and lower their bills. That's you, what you want. You're talking about PUC this great right. faith that you have in the PUC, a group of unelected uh, people who I, I may be remembering incorrectly, and I'm sure you'll correct me because you're good at doing that. You didn't seem to have a lot of <laughs> faith in the PUC during the rooftop solar debate when you were working for Solar City. Uh, we corrected that entire situation in part through the, the reconstituted PUC of, of Governor uh, Sandoval uh, under the leadership of Chairman Joe Reynolds, who did, did a fantastic job in the Sierra Pacific case that I participated in there. So ultimately, you know, we succeeded. You know, sometimes bad things happen. There's no question about that. And in the case of the initial rooftop solar decision, it was not the right decision as determined both by uh, succeeding PUC and then ultimately decided by the, by the legislature. But, you know, we can't, you know, protect everything. Um, before I let Riley jump back in here, those words you just said, I think, are important. And, 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 and I am really, I'm being serious here. Sometimes bad things happen is what you just said. How do we know bad things are not going to happen in this new, uh, brave new world of, an, uh, of a uh, thoughtfully re-regulated marketplace? Well, bad things are happening right now. NV Energy is over-earning by an excessive amount. They have not given us back yet uh, the excess tax money that they're collecting right now because the tax rates have gone down from 35% to 21%. That money hasn't given, give, been given back to Nevada consumers either. So bad things are continuing to happen to Nevada consumers right now. Again, you can't protect against everything, but you can set up structures that minimize risks. And I believe that those structures can be put in place based upon the history of what we attempted to put in place in 1999 and based upon what we know now between 1999 and now, I believe that we have the, the ability through a proper legislative structure that's set up under the initiative and from that proper regulations that would be set up by the PUC to minimize risk for consumers and lower costs and provide choices for consumers for clean energy. John, I want to jump back in here and something that we we spoke about earlier and that we you and I have spoken about before is the Nevada's effort to get into this retail market in the late 1990s. There's a key difference between um, what Nevada tried to do then and what they're doing now. That is that that effort was driven by the legislature and a bill that they passed. And this effort is a constitutional amendment. Um, one of the concerns that I've heard brought up about this is that if this does not work out for Nevada, it's very hard to undo a constitutional amendment versus uh, repealing parts of a bill. Can you explain a little bit about why there might be advantages or, or why the decision was made to move forward with putting this into the state constitution, this retail energy market? Well, uh, certainly. I mean, what, what, what's being put in the state constitution is doing away with electric uh, generation monopolies, which I, I think you know should be done away with nationwide uh, at the retail level. We were trying to do away with monopolies uh, at the wholesale level when I was at FERC, and, and that has progressed, and that's continuing to progress. More uh, uh, independent wholesale markets are, sp are springing up. 
with less monopoly power and more independent oversight and more choice and more opportunity for consumers in those wholesale markets to actually participate. Um, beyond that, the details are still going to be provided by the legislature, number one, and as I mentioned, also by the Public Utilities Commission regulations that will effectuate what the legislature does. So I think the basic premise of a overall amendment to do away with electric monopolies is an appropriate one. And, and, and putting that in the state constitution, I have no problem with that. What I would have a problem with is if you went the next step and tried to put in sort of the details of what the legislature will have to do, put that in the constitution, then, you, then you're, you're restricting yourself at a point where it may be difficult to minimize risks. But as it is written now, it's, it's broad enough that it gives direction to the legislature that they must ensure that there is not a generation monopoly and there is uh, a reasonable uh, access to retail choice by all consumers, uh, electric choice in Nevada. Given that broad statement in, in the Constitution, I think that then gives the legislature the ability to go in on a more granular basis and ultimately put in uh, what needs to do to lower risk and ensure that consumers do have effective choice that can uh, minimize their energy costs overall and then give it over to the PUC to do the, the final details to ensure for that consumer protection and to ensure that uh, th there's no way that it can ultimately go bad. That's a, a very interesting point you bring up, John, is this uh, this idea that we should get rid of the entire concept of electric retail monopolies as a whole. I think that here in Nevada, we have our blinders on and we're focused on ECI, but this is an issue that has come up in other states. I know in Virginia, there's a whole issue with their legislature and Dominion electricity. Huge, 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 huge problem with, with Dominion right now. And they should do the same thing. Same thing should be done in Arizona. I mean, the Arizona uh, Corporation Commission, which is an elected body as opposed, and I think that's why we have an advantage in Nevada because it is an appointed body by the governor who I think can appoint good people and can appoint people that have uh, some background and and facility and ability to go in and really dig into these things. The elected commission in, in uh, Arizona is one that is notorious for, you know, going along with utilities or whatever ever they want ultimately and uh, really not, not looking out effectively for the consumer. I think, again, Arizona is another place where we need to look at doing away with electric monopolies. And ultimately, I would, I would advocate that be done throughout the country because I think ultimately, at the end of the day, consumers will be better off if they have choices, and those are competitive choices, and the ability to determine how to control their energy costs and access clean energy. I guess my question then is that the monopoly structure for energy is in many ways a relic of the earliest part of the 20th century. Um, what has changed in terms of technology, in terms of how American society operates in 2018, that oh, that in your mind allows us to move away from the monopoly structure to a market structure for such a hugely incredible and important part of everyday life in our economy like energy? Let, let, let me give you an example, a very simple example here in California. I get notices on my phone of something called, you know, uh, events on basically a um, weekly basis where I can, if I want to, respond and reduce usage in my home and earn credits, points that ultimately gives me money back for doing that. And that's done not through PG&E, not through my local distribution monopoly utility, but it's done instead with a, a third-party entrepreneur called Ohm Connect that 
works up through the wholesale market into the California ISO that in essence bypasses the local monopoly that allows me ultimately to control my energy costs by doing things if I want to do it. Now, I don't have to do that if I don't want to. And there's going to be soon ways where you wouldn't even have to look at your phone where it'll automatically be aggregated and you could set certain things and say, you know, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. And if it goes to here, do this. If it goes to there, don't do this. And then step back and, you know, again, control your energy costs. So what we have, and I think your question is probably the most important one, Riley, is we have enhanced communication and control. We have enhanced visibility and ability for consumers to actually participate up in wholesale markets. And that's something that I actually championed while I was at FERC. I, in fact, got the right for consumers to participate in wholesale markets, went all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court in a, in a case called uh, uh, EPSA v. FERC. EPSA was the generators because the large central station generators didn't like the fact that I had a, a, uh, a case, a rule, that said if you are a consumer and behind the meter can change your loads in a way that you could reduce power and sell that into the market, you should be paid the same thing that a generator gets paid to increase power in the market. And the generators went crazy. Well, we took that all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we won. And it said that consumers can participate in the market just like generators. So what's different now is consumers can actually, actually be market participants. And we can do it in Nevada. We can be part of a larger market and as such control our costs because we have the ability to do it because it's cheaper, easier, and more cost-effective to do. And if we can open up the markets to do that, consumers will be able to participate in those ways. We only have a few minutes left, and I, and I want to go back to something that you said earlier, which was uh, you said Envy Energy and, and, and their allies in this are, are, are going to fight this. Who else besides Envy Energy is against this? Um. I don't want to speak for any groups. I mean, I... I, I Dead air I've is seen, not good in a podcast, sir. Speak your mind. Uh, I, I've seen uh, certainly representatives of IBEW um, who uh, obviously are uh, in part employees of NV Energy uh, having concerns, although I personally think this is going to increase jobs and increase jobs for them. And in fact, I was talking to Pat Spearman today, and she said, and she's going to send me the bill, she said they put a bill in place in the last legislative session that will ensure that, the, that if we go to a restructured system, that IBW uh, um, workers will, in fact, be protected. And so uh, I, w I would say we should try to protect those people and ensure that ultimately, you know, they, they don't lose jobs and they have more job opportunities with this expanded uh, uh, energy system that we have where consumers are participating in this uh, all the time. So, you know, that's one group. Beyond that, I don't know. And I don't know where they're going to get their $30 million from. Hopefully, they're not going to take it out of the pocket of Nevadans, who the majority of which have already expressed, you know, their support for this and use Nevadans' own money against them. Or hopefully, it's not going to come from Omaha uh, either. I mean, I, I don't know where they're going to get their $30 million, million from, but, but it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, it's not clear to me, number one. What also is not clear to me is why now? Why did... Why did they just remain silent up through last November? What has changed? What is so different now? Where are they going to get their money from, and what's so different now than uh, the case in, in last November? Why weren't they you know, around crying then that this is something that shouldn't be done and they can do it better and more reliably and all these other rationales that they've now come out with? 
how has that suddenly changed from last November? That's a mystery to me. Uh, well, maybe they're going to get the $30 million if we listen to what you have to say just from the uh, NV Energy uh, meals budget. Uh, I have no idea what their meals budget is, <laughs> but all, the, all that money doesn't come from NV Energy. All that money comes from ratepayers. Ratepayers are paying for those meals. Ratepayers are paying for every single thing that NV Energy does now. You know, I, I should stop serving up these softballs when I'm trying to be amusing. Uh, so, so finally, let, let, let's just wrap up with this. And this is something uh, that uh, uh, Riley asked uh, Rob Roy of Switch uh, this week. And Switch, of course, is probably the biggest backer of uh, yeah. ECI, which is about this uh, RPS, Renewable Portfolio Standards Initiative, that Tom Steyer is the biggest backer of. And Rob Roy was not that thrilled with that. They've tried to kind of clarify it a little bit since then, but clearly he doesn't think the government should be mandating uh, what the renewable portfolio standard should be, that it, it should be naturally 100% and that he's not, he's not good with government mandates. What do you think of that whole argument? Well, uh, you know, I think what Rob said, if I, if I read your, your piece correctly, is that you, you, don't need to, you don't need to go make them do it said, I'm going to do it. And, and, and basically, what I understand that and interpret that is saying that, you know, Switch is going to go to 100% renewables. And all the polls show that nationwide, 80% of the consumers want more renewables. So if you give them choice, they'll go to, to higher levels. They'll probably go above 50%. And, and I agree with that. I agree with what Rob said in, in that regard. But that doesn't mean in any way, and I don't speak for Rob Roy, I don't speak for Switch, you know, I only speak for ECI, and ECI is fully supportive of the 50% uh, RPS initiative. In fact, you know, I, I was the author of the expansion of the RPS in 2001 in Nevada. I was the one who uh, walked in the halls of the legislature and on behalf of some geothermal clients and other clients uh, was there supporting uh, expanding the renewable uh, portfolio standard to what it is today. So all, ultimately, I think that's, that standard should be increased, and I think 50% uh, is not unreasonable. And I think that there's no inconsistency between that and ECI. That standard could be uh, equally applied to renewable, uh, um, to uh, retail energy providers uh, who were under a retail choice system and uh, it could work work very well. So, so I, I don't have any problem with it, and ECI doesn't have any problem with it. Would you rather not have it on the ballot, though, so there were just one ballot question with energy? You know, because it can be, as you know, very confusing, and opponents may try to – this may be yeah. shocking, shocking to you. They may try to muddy the waters. I, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I don't want them, them, the opponents, to use this to confuse and divide consumers. And so in that regard, I hope that we at ECI – and the supporters of the 50% renewable initiative can work to say yes on three and yes on whatever number theirs is going to be should be yes on both of them. I think we should work together. I think all of our ads should be together. I think we should coordinate together because consumers in Nevada want choice and they want solar. And those are the two things that they want. And they're going to get both if they vote for both. And and it, it, it can be potentially confusing, and I don't want the opponent's to use it as a confusing thing, but I don't mind it being on the ballot. John, I know other John said that we were wrapping up, but as usual, you can safely ignore his instructions. I want to ask one last question. Sure. Um, you you mentioned earlier that Envy Energy hasn't um, 
you know, returned the benefits it's getting from the Republican passed tax bill back in December, the reduction in corporate taxes right. back to taxpayers. I don't mean to ambush you, ambush you or anything, but just a few hours ago, we're recording this on a Thursday, NV Energy put out a press release saying that they're uh, requesting their revenues be decreased by about $83 million. They're claiming, and I'm still trying to work this uh, numbers out myself, but the average um, home power bill is going to go down about $4 for Southern Nevadans. Um, I want to get your take, um, not on this specifically, but what do you think Envy Energy will do in this sort of PUC side, the control that they have over rates, the, the, the still pending general rate case, um, to try and make it look like ECI isn't necessary? Well, yeah, I mean, if I were them, I would do everything I could to reduce rates as much as possible between now and November and make it appear as if, you know, they uh, can cut costs better than uh, choice can provide uh, cost reductions uh, to consumers. Um, you know, whether or not they, they, they succeed in, in convincing consumers of that remains to be seen. But, you know, if I was them, I certainly would do that. But that doesn't give you any guarantees past November. And, you know, uh, history has shown that the utilities – uh, game the system when they can game the system. I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been been in a, a position in, in Nevada to observe and participate in person in these utility proceedings. And I'll tell you, since 1975, I've seen uh, a lot of gaming going on in this uh, regulatory structure that is continually trying, you know, to put push the wet noodle uphill and to make them do the right thing. And I think the right thing can better be done when you've got multiple competitors. And if one competitor doesn't do the right thing, you can go walk across the street and choose somebody else. Well, I hate to be a wet noodle myself, uh, John uh, Wellinghoff, but we have to cut this off. I really do appreciate are you willing to come on the podcast? We're going to do a lot more in energy. Riley uh, loves covering this stuff, and he's the best at it. And we may even end up doing a town hall or a forum or so. And I hope if you're out in Nevada that you'd participate in something like that. Thanks so much. Well, I'd I, I love to do that, John. I'm going to be in Nevada a lot. I'm going to be uh, talking before the Las Vegas Chamber of Commerce in a couple of weeks. And uh, we plan to be involved in a lot of events. There. Okay. Well, try to vary your pitch to each of these places, okay, so we don't think you're programmed. I'll try to do that. <laughs> All right. Thanks, John Welling. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. All right. Riley, Take thanks care. for your great questions. Thanks, thanks for coming. All right. When we come back, Elizabeth Thompson will join me to discuss some important issues of the day. Stick around. Nevada's two most respected investigative reporters teaming up to look out for your rights. The insiders from government waste to political corruption. Investigative reporting from an We're back on Indie Matters, the podcast of the Nevada Independent, and we're at the best part of every program when Elizabeth Thompson, my number two and close friend, shows up so she can uh, hopefully agree with me on everything that I say. Elizabeth, welcome back. <laughs> Hi, John. <laughs> so let's talk about a couple of uh, really interesting uh, topics that were discussed in the Nevada Independent stories. First was uh, this really remarkable sit-down that uh, uh, Riley Snyder and I had with Rob Rory, who was a generally reclusive uh, 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 CEO of Switch, which has become this fantastically successful uh, company that stores the data on servers for all the biggest uh, tech companies in the world and many, many others. I think they have more than 800 clients uh, now. And he essentially is, is, is just pulling back the curtain, to use his words, to say, listen, we're coming after 
uh, Envy Energy. He is really committed uh, to, to, to the Energy Choice Initiative that we just discussed uh, with John Wellinghoff. Uh, what was your take on that sit-down? I was amazed, actually. First interview in a decade, so you don't really know what's going to be said. I was surprised by the passion uh, in many of his statements. I was surprised by some of the phraseology he used, especially when talking about Envy Energy. He pulled no punches. Fake philanthropy, fake branding, that kind of language. To say the least. And I, I was surprised by some of his comments toward the end of of Riley's write-up in which he said, look, you know, I think going 100% solar or renewable is what we should be doing, but I don't think we should be doing it through federal or state law. I want to do it. Let me do it. He went so far as to, uh, I, I guess, the prior week when he was talking to Tom Steyer to basically say, get out of my way. I'm going to get this done in in Nevada. I, I encourage everyone who hasn't read that interview to read it. And, and I believe on Sunday, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that we're going to be uh, running kind of the full uh, Q&A with him. And, and there's some good stuff in there as well, I believe. Not quite the full Q&A because uh, we would run out of server space uh, for the three-hour <laughs> interview. But we're going we're gonna to run uh, an edited transcript uh, and cover some other stuff, including his relationship with uh, the Sands and Sheldon Adelson and other gaming uh, industry folks. But what's really interesting about sitting in there, uh, Elizabeth, and I had met Rob Roy only once before, uh, and this was uh, Riley's first time, is I use the word Pollyanna several times because he, as much as he's obviously an incredibly bright guy who came from nowhere to build this company up into a, 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 a company now when they went public last year valued at between four and five billion dollars, but he seems so as so many CEOs do to me very naive about politics. He didn't like that description, uh, the tremendous clout that Envy Energy has had in politics in the legislature. And I know there were some who would listen to him. And, and say, this guy's just too good to be true. Uh, I mean, he can't really believe all this stuff. He's a charlatan. He's a poser. Uh, and, and I think it's going to be interesting if he stays out in the public eye, people are going to be able to judge for themselves uh, what he is really all about. He's not, he's not, he has not been public, as you mentioned, first interview in a decade. For him to be willing to come out, uh, and he says he'll actually come out and do more, uh, I think that's going to be very, very difficult uh, for Envy Energy to combat with, you know, Paul Cadill, who's a very staid CEO, very good. He's got a much better reputation than some of the other CEOs have, have had in the past in terms of his accessibility and willingness to work. That's going to be fascinating to watch how people perceive Rob Roy. Rob Roy is Switch. Switch is Rob Roy. It's going to be fascinating. It will, and not just in the months to come, but in the next three to five to, say, 15 years, right? As we figure out, you know, are we going to stay with this RF, RPS, this renewable uh, portfolio where we're shooting for 25% by 2025? Or uh, is this other ballot initiative that you guys were discussing during the interview, is that going to go through? That's going to be 50% renewable by 2030. That's a big, big difference in a short period of time. You know, he's obviously assigned himself the role of, of public lobbyist uh, on this issue at the same time going after NVE and saying they shouldn't even be allowed to lobby at all as a public utility um, and that their their guaranteed profits should be limited to uh, 10% and on down the line. It will be fascinating to see how the battle of wills plays out uh, in the public. Uh, right now, I would say 
you know, the, the, the momentum seems to be against NVE, but one should not underestimate them, I don't think. They've been playing the lobbying game for a long time. They understand the market better than anyone. And so, yes, though, it'll, it's going to be pretty fascinating that this will be playing out right here in our beloved Nevada. $30 million is an unbelievable amount of money to spend on a campaign. And I understand, I mean, they're, they're saying that's the floor. Uh, and, and so that's that's astonishing. They, they will have to explain where that money's coming from. John Wellinghoff already alluded to the fact that they're going to make uh, an issue out of that. But, you know, listen, everyone hates the power company, right? And so that's a difficult thing for NV Energy. But really, the other point that John Wellinghoff pointed out, and I think this is a legitimate strategic point to bring up, why didn't they say anything in 2016? If by not saying much or, or, or essentially nothing, letting the labor folks carry their water and they didn't have nearly as much money as the proponents, the thing passed three to one, uh, essentially three to one. And so now to, to beat it, to go against that momentum, what is Envy Energy trying to do? Are they trying to beat it? Are they trying to make it so it becomes a 54-46 proposition so they can say, look, there's no mandate, slow down legislature and, and, and PUC? Uh, uh, that's going to be really – I mean I, I don't know of all the years I've covered politics, Elizabeth, where I've seen a more fascinating thing to watch. Yeah, I'm curious too and I'd love to know what's going on in those private discussions at Envy Energy as they talk about whether they're going to try to stop the train or just slow it down. <laughs> basically, because it's coming. I mean, deregulation to some degree is coming. And so I think they're probably having some very thoughtful, careful discussions at NV Energy about, you know, how do we mitigate this to some degree? How do we become, how do we stay in the game? How do we become part of the solution? How can we sort of play nice in the sandbox while not entirely giving up, you know, our market share? I mean, they are there to make some kind of profit, just as all these other energy companies are too. Nobody in this is completely uh, altruistic in my view because everyone uh, on this issue has some skin in the game because there is so much money to be made off energy. Why? Because the average citizen has to have it. You know, it's an interesting point about the money and we should wrap this up and move on to a different topic. But Rob Roy was very adamant during uh, this um, uh, th during this discussion that he had no money uh, to, to, to make. And, and I, 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 I should tell people it's funny to watch uh, my colleague writing down notes of something I was just about to, 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 to say, which is that uh, Switch and Envy Energy are both major donors uh, to the Nevada Independent. Uh, and so they'll both be very mad at us. I'm glad we already got their money, Elizabeth. <laughs> but but I, I guess uh, it's, it's just that this whole argument uh, of of that everything's going to be fine if you if you have choice uh, is what they're going to say. And you heard John Williams, and and NV Energy can say, look, we have relatively low rates anyhow, and look, we're going to reduce it. They that is uh, Riley mentioned this is just broken a couple hours ago. We're, we're recording this on Thursday that they're now talking about reducing uh, their revenues. Look, we're saving you money. Don't don't rock the boat, kind of thing. It's going to be really interesting to see that campaign play out. It really is. Well, you asked a question uh, on the interview that didn't really get answered, uh, which is, aren't there going to be problems, too, with whatever new system comes down the line? And then, you know, the answer you got was, well, there are, you know, there are problems now. Yeah, there are problems now. And you know what? There will be problems no matter what happens, because anytime you, you have a large, complex system and then you want to break it up into even more parts, there are going to be issues and problems, but we'll work through them. And Riley asked the most poignant and important question about this is, do we want to get ourselves into a situation in Nevada where we're making all these changes to the energy market, 
within the Nevada Constitution such that they cannot be undone or rolled back if we do realize at some point that we overstepped or made some kind of mistake. One argument in favor of letting the legislature handle these kind of issues, as frustrating as that uh, can be for everyone, and it takes an awfully long time, it, it seems like, is that at least when it's done by the legislature, they can turn around two years later uh, and do some fixes. I, I think that's a, a great question and something that that people should think about carefully before they vote in November. And it's something that you and I have talked about and I've written a lot about over the years. This kind of policy, especially something as complex as energy policy, should be made uh, by the legislature. Uh, it should not be made at the ballot box. I'm not trying to insult the voters, but no vote, individual voters are going to possibly be able to understand energy policy. Sure, choice sounds great, or sure, stability sounds great, which is the NV Energy uh, ar- argument that, that is made. Uh, the argument that the, that the other side would say is that, listen, uh, we tried. We have tried in the legislature. Envy Energy has too much political clout. We we had to go around them. Anyhow, uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch, and, and I hope everyone will go on the Nevada Independent. Uh, as I mentioned before, I don't mean to hype it too much. Our Riley Snyder has done such hard work on this. He really understands the issues, and you could tell uh, from his questions. The other, of course, big story uh, in Nevada over the last few weeks has been the revelations about maybe the most iconic figure in the history of the gaming industry in Nevada, Steve Wynn, and the sexual harassment allegations and the, the stunning uh, 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 stepping down uh, from from his own company, uh, and now the gaming control board is is still is announced they're still investigating him because of course he's still licensed here and he's a twelve percent I believe stake in the company. So, but then uh, and I know you you wanted to talk about this, Liz, but the, the gaming control board actually announced something. Uh, uh, they hinted at it in the Wall Street Journal, and our Megan Messerly has a story about this uh, that that uh, what's happened in the wake of this that they've had the institute something. Yeah, so Megan's story actually was about how the Las Vegas police have been getting calls about incidents that allegedly happened back in the 1970s that involved Steve Wynn. But what I found most interesting in that story was that the Gaming Control Board decided because the number of calls they were receiving apparently since the Steve Wynn story broke was getting disruptive. That's the word that new chairman Becky Harris uh, used, disruptive. They decided to set up an online portal for Nevada residents to be able to call in confidentially, leave their their name, though, and their date and their contact info, but share confidential information that the Gaming Control Board is making an assurance they will protect if they have any information they want to share that's pertinent to the ongoing investigation. I found that fascinating. I don't know if it's ever happened before in Nevada history, I've but never I, heard of it. I think... Uh, I have to believe it hasn't happened too often, if it ever has at all. Well, it's going to be interesting, too, because, of course, uh, uh, well, everyone's going to think, okay, uh, uh, people who've had problems with Steve Wynn, if they exist, are going to call this line. But this is going to be an open invitation now, essentially, with with the general feeling. And it's, and it's, and it's obvious truth about the very sexist culture that exists in general, but especially acute within an industry so dominated by men uh, as the gaming industry that others – uh, you know, we've already heard that maybe there's other news stories coming out about other people in the gaming industry, but now the gaming control board has basically said, we're going to do something. We're investigating this, and if you have, if you can help us, do it. I, I think that's, uh, I hate this phrase, but I'll use it anyhow. That's a game changer, I think, in terms of how this has been handled. Yeah, I think so too. And we should note as well that regulators in Massachusetts and Macau have opened up their own investigation. So this has got, there's some waves here being made worldwide, not not just here in Nevada. One other interesting uh, development in this whole thing, Elizabeth, has been that uh, after Steve Wynn stepped down as chairman, uh, the, the board announced 
announced that they were going to discontinue their own investigation. Uh, there was a lot of blowback about that, and suddenly it was announced uh, that they've hired another law firm, although the Wall Street Journal pointed out all kinds of interconnections uh, and incestuousness possibilities with that law firm. And then there was this absolutely devastating piece by Bloomberg columnist Joan O'Sara, who I believe used to work for the New York Times as well, uh, and, and the lead was something along the is there any worse board in the country than the one over Wynn Resorts playing up the coziness of the board and their responsiveness to this? And let's let me just add that Pat Mulroy, longtime head of the Water District, who was on uh, was on the Gaming Commission for a little bit, is leading this. The pressure now on the Wynn Resorts board to show that it wasn't just Steve Wynn's handmaiden, that there's a real board, uh, is going to be tremendous now, right? Absolutely. Uh, and I and it's a story I think maybe we should have seen coming, but we didn't because all the focus was on Steve Wynn because it was such huge you know, news, that the, the way it was broken and the number of people that uh, were spoken to in that initial initial report was kind of uh, a stunning. But of course, there was going to be scrutiny and pressure on the board of what did you know and when did you know it and what was going on at Wynn Resorts for the last uh, 30 years and not just the board, but the human resources uh, department and the supervisors in every other uh, department. And I'm sure the Gaming Control Board is going to dig in hard to all of that. And they're going to have pretty much unprecedented access to the information. I will not be at all surprised if many more stunning breaking stories come out of uh, this before we're all is said and done. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that about the Gaming Control Board because you're absolutely right. Uh, uh, people in Nevada, based on the whole Jerry Tarkanian era, know about the immense power of, a, of an organization like the NCAA over its members. A gaming license in Nevada is known as a privilege license, which essentially gives the Gaming Control Board license, so to speak, to do anything that it deems necessary. They can walk into the casino at any time. They can interview anybody they want. They, You can't say no uh, to the Gaming Control Board. So the, the phrase that you use is right. They're going to have unprecedented access to information that has never been asked for before, right? Uh, that's right. And we'll be interested here at the Nevada Independent to see how much of it becomes public easily and how much of it we have to dig for. Uh, but we'll certainly keep digging uh, as much as we can. Yep. And, and as we wrap up, Elizabeth, I do want to remind people that the, we at the Nevada Independent are committed to following these stories ourselves. And if you feel less comfortable with a government entity than coming to us the, to tell your stories, if you have stories about the gaming industry or anywhere else or with elected officials and sexual uh, harassment, uh, we, we, we want to cover these stories. Uh, we really believe that this conversation is overdue, as I uh, wrote in, in a blog post uh, months ago. Elizabeth, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Great to be here. A reminder to everybody that this, our podcast interviews are airing on KUNV, the university's radio station, at 8.30 on Thursdays. We are, as I always like to say, thrilled to continue to partner with UNLV. And by the way, we're going to be announcing a special event at UNLV uh, very, very soon. That's all the time we do have for this edition of the Indie Matters podcast. We want to know what you think. We want your feedback, ideas, criticism, even praise. Email us at ideas at thenvindy.com. Check out the site. I've mentioned the URL a few times, thenevadaindependent.com. We want your feedback, and we also wouldn't mind if you went on the support our work tab. Uh, we can only survive through donations. We are a 5013 C3 nonprofit. That means you can deduct that 
on your taxes. Also, go on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, rate us. Uh, you can find us on other platforms such as Google Play. Again, our thanks to John Wellinghoff for calling in and being here with that great discussion. Uh, KUNV here on the campus of UNLV always provides the, the they are the greatest hosts we can hope for. And as always, many thanks to Joey Lovato, our fantastic producer, who makes us all sound podcast smooth. Wow. Elizabeth is back from vacation sounding even smoother. I'm John Ralston. Join us again next week for Indie Matters. <laughs>